Hey everyone, welcome back to Vampire Weekday. Today we're covering a fun one. Once again, I'm joined by my co-host Kevin and Unbearably White is on the docket today. One of my favorites actually. Uh, it's it's probably my favorite in the Vampire Weekend discography, or second favorite. And um, the biggest thing that sticks out to me with this one, when I listened to it the first time off Father of the Bride, is if you snuck this into modern vampires of the city, I would not blink an eye. I, I would not be surprised whatsoever because it seems like it fits perfectly with that um, aesthetic and theme. It almost seems a little little, little shocking uh, compared to the rest of Father of the Bride. What did you think on that, Kevin? Yeah, my, my initial thought musically is that this is a little bit subdued. And I think you're right, because then thematically, I think it would fit a little bit better with some of those deeper tracks on Modern Vampires. Um, I think one thing when you look at a song like this, there aren't a ton of people making guitar music right now. And mm -hmm. not only is Vampire Weekend doing that, but they're doing it very well. This is, I don't want to say it's their best riff, but it's one of their best. Um, it comes as a B-side to This Life, which I think might be their see it's the thing it's like they're, they're they're so good at doing guitar music um this is one of their best though mm -hmm. yeah what what do you what do you think of the initial meaning that pops out to you in this song so my first thought giving this a few listens and kind of like a cursory read of the lyrics is being presented with a starkness, being presented with a blankness. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously white connotes that. Um, the snow thing comes up a little bit. I didn't really think about that too much, if anything more than just a way to kind of express a starkness and a blankness. But maybe my first stab at it was you are approaching some sort of impasse, some sort of big blank thing. And you just kind of figure out where to go from there. Or kind yeah. of reflecting on it. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good first stab at it. Um, I, I definitely see where you're taking that away. I, I I guess what I was pointing towards more so though is there's definitely with just a first listen a kind a relationship that's being talked about, mm -hmm. and like you said, there's an impasse being reached um, where baby, I love you, but that's not enough. And pulling away has been unbearably buff, which is a great lyric, unbearably <laughs> buff. I mean, time crisis fans uh, rejoice at that lyric. But not rough stuff, folks. Not rough stuff. Um, but there's definitely a, a relationship here that could be could be seen. I don't think that's what... Ezra's going for though I think the relationship is a metaphor for something else and what that metaphor is that's pretty tough uh I have a lot of different possibilities and ideas again similar to Big Blue I think it could be something where it's meant to be open to multiple things it, it's written for that purpose but at the same time I feel like the relationship serves as a blank canvas that you can impart your personal experiences onto. Yeah, I um, 
I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying because you do read through this the first time and you think, oh, it's a relationship. And then my next thought is Vampire Weekend is not the kind of band where every song in an album is going to be about a relationship. Um, and we've already talked about a few from Father of the Bride. Um, so I, my, my initial thought was it's got to be something else, right? Um, and I, I like your idea of it being a blank blank canvas. Um, one Reddit thing I saw, some, some fan suggested that we can kind of get into your different interpretations, but it could be about Ezra's relationship with his music. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really kind of cool because he himself has mentioned that he considers the tail end of the indie boom to be about when modern vampires came out. Mm-hmm. And then of course the band took a significant hiatus. And then you look at this album, Father of the Bride as being a little bit more rock influenced, but still very much a v- vampire weekend sound. And then you look at this song and think almost like musically, it's like, what are we doing here? Because mm-hmm. nobody is making music that sounds quite like this at this time. Yeah, I, I love that take. Uh, I think there's, I that's the one I lean heavily into also. Um, and I think there's a lot of evidence for that. You have the sooner or later the story gets told, to tell it myself would be unbearably bold, almost this commentary on how indie music has kind of been told. The story's been told. Um, it's past its prime, but for him to say that it's unbearably bold. Um, and then there's also the line in verse two, you walked to the bedroom and sat down to write the page in your notebook was unbearably white, which I, I think could, could be talking about him processing this change that he has to have in his musical writing um, approach where you have this long hiatus, this notebook that's unbearably white, that's blank, um, that's staring at you, yet you realize you have to change. And what that change is going to look like, it's not very clear, but it it has to happen. Um, And I, I think that part is supported with the chorus. Um, there's an avalanche coming, this change that's coming. Don't cover your eyes. It's what you thought that you wanted. So he knows he wants this change, but it's still a surprise. Um, it's hard on the body. It's hard on the mind to learn what kept us together, darling, is what kept us to alive. That last part, I think, really could be telling here. Mm-hmm. And so I really, really like the interpretation of his, um, it being in relation to his approach to songwriting in general, veiled as a type of relationship. Yeah, I, um, you look at what Ezra's talked about on Time Crisis, he's obviously a, a student of rock music. And you look at the relationship that he talks about with bands and their fourth album. And it really is an inflection point because staying stagnant after four albums isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it kind of shows the direction your band is taking. Mm -hmm. ACDC has made what 12 or 13 albums now that are all pretty much the same and they're great and they're a big deal because that's their identity. And this had to be an inflection point 
for the band if they wanted it to be. And mm-hmm. it was. And this could kind of be a reflection on that. Yeah, for sure, certainly. And there there was actually a genius comment comparing it um, to one of Ezra's main influences, uh, Bob Dylan, um, who's a very famous songwriter that Ezra has uh, given credit to. And it's uh, it's all over now, Baby Blue by Bob Dylan. And in that song, Bob Dylan writes about this relationship uh, gone wrong. It's all over now. But in reality, that that identity of baby blue uh, seems to be actually his old persona, the, the folksy persona that he was talking about. And it's at a time in his career where he went more into uh, electric guitar centric rock. And he he's saying goodbye to to the the old version of Bob Dylan and and saying hello to the new version um, and what one line that sticks out in that song is forget the dead you've left they will not follow you the vagabond who's rapping at your door is standing in the clothes that you once wore just uh, this imagery of this new identity um, being presented to him and I really really like the idea of Ezra being influenced by that type of songwriting uh, approach to to communicate this hidden meaning within a relationship veiled um, story. Yeah, I mean, just that little snippet you said there um, is incredibly poetic and very emblematic of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. Completely agree. That's that's very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Another uh, possible, I, I guess we're getting to tertiary meanings at this point, uh, kind of <laughs> picking at teeth, but another possible meaning I was thinking of is um, the, the narrator approaching this uh, existentialist crisis in which... Okay in which they have to approach the bleakness of modern life. Uh, I like this def- a lot. Definitely darker. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I really have no idea if Ezra is going for this, but there's, there's some evidence in it. Um, the, the biggest line that sticks out to me with this one is in verse three. Presented with darkness, we turn to the light. Could have been smart we're just unbearably bright. And so when we're presented with this bleakness of darkness, um, we turn to the light, whether that's optimism or some religion or whatever it may be. And then the next line could have been smart, but we're just unbearably bright. And I don't think bright means smart. I think it means just optimistic in general. Um, could have been smart as in could have accepted that bleakness that that he's faced but instead he's um he chooses to to be unbearably right unbearably optimistic and then in the bridge you have this kind of 
bleak outlook on life where it's call it a day, call it a night, callous and cold, just unbearably night, repeated over and over again, where it's just day, night, whatever, nothing matters, um, callous and cold, and unbearably white, where white can be a synonym for bleak and boring and plain. Now, like I said, horribly like sad meaning if so but possible i think it's definitely possible um because we've seen stuff like this before maybe not on this album i'm really glad you brought up that presented with darkness little clip there because that was something i pulled aside on my first read through because i i really liked it but i didn't know where to go with it and i think that you're you're right is probably the most telling part of the song for that theme. Uh, I love the juxtaposition of smart and bright, two mm-hmm. words that easily can mean the same thing. And yet I don't think they do in this case, very much in the same way that you analyzed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of call it a day, call it a night, kind of having a double meaning. Cause part of it, you could almost read it as like a Beatles, like hard days night kind of thing. Like it's not like, <laughs> a, it's not like a, we're giving up. It's like a honey, I'm home from work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the happier read of it, but you're right. Calling it a night, calling it a day could also be this very kind of like dark, we're giving up kind of thing because calloused and cold is very hard to find anything other than a negative, negative read of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I tend to not like that explanation for the song um just because it seems less poetic than the songwriter approach um and more just uh very negative um there's there's been a lot of indie music that's just sad and it's Mm. almost like uh like stop crying at me like let's figure something else out um yeah but i think it would be a disservice to um to ezra as a songwriter to not bring up all possible meanings uh even when some of them aren't aren't too pleasant (laughs) sure um yeah i those are the two main possible secondary meanings i i came across um what about you did you come up across anything else um nothing nothing like in particular um i guess the one thing that i kind of wanted to go back to Mm-hmm. on the love interest as being like music. I saw more specifically a potential take that it's about rock music and the idea that you can't be doing what you're doing anymore. Um, Cause there's definitely been some rock influences in the first three VW albums. And then going into this one, it's obviously a little bit more present. Um, and I just thought it was interesting to think about how you could be looking at this as falling out of favor with rock music and maybe like rock's relationship to our current position historically mm-hmm. i don't i guess I, I don't know what i'm trying to say here um my first so i'm sorry i just is it, i, is I it, have an is idea it almost is it almost a breakup song with rock kind of but it's 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 not like a bad thing it's almost like 
Ezra's not the kind of guy who's like, I wish I was born in like the sixties, you know, <laughs> he's not, like, he has his problems with the current age, but he's not like uh like I was born in the wrong generation kind mm-hmm. of thing. He just loves the music. So I guess it's weird to look at this like potential, like breakup or like farewell to rock while still like appreciating what's going on right now. If yeah. that makes sense at all. Yeah, I could see that. Um, what do you, what do you think of when in that repeated verse of baby, I love you, but that's not enough. Um, the, the response he keeps going to is I ran up the mountain out of your sight. The snow on, on the peak was just unbearably white. What, what do you think of that line? This could be, if we're going to go down the like legit lovers relationship type thing, mm-hmm. this could be probably the best lean into that. Like, you're going for unrequited love. It's not there. You try and get away from it. The snow on the peak is just unbearably white. There's still something there, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's still hard to shake that feeling. I don't know. That that could be something there. Like, running away from an issue, running away from a problem, but, like, there you can't find anything once you get there. Take your mind off of it. Mm-hmm. And then my final question before we dive a little into their analysis of it on time crisis um, and as we focus more on our, our takes on it, what, what do you think of the repeated use of the word unbearably? Yeah, it's a word you don't hear a ton. Yeah, which is... I mean, there's, there's obviously an intentional use, intentional meaning there. Yeah, I think we might be getting into that in a bit um, with what we discussed pre-show about what kind of this song means in relation to its title. But, gosh, I don't know. I didn't even think about it, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's, it's kind of this word that embodies a feeling uh, no matter what. It's an adverb that... Um, that was followed by an adjective always, but no matter what that adjective is, it's this feeling attached with it of just this, I don't even know how to describe it except unbearable nature. Um, Overwhelming is what I would use actually. But it's, it's hard to see this with a positive connotation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's much easier to see this either like a neutral or a negative connotation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like I can't have, I can't, imagine a scenario where I'm describing something good as being unbearably like, yeah. And you can't can't really do it. In linking it to the relationship storyline. I I think it's, it it relates in the sense that during breakups, everything seems unbearable. Um, Whether it's just the actual breakup itself or the aftermath, um, everything is unbearably whatever uh and so i I think that's a good description uh there yeah if you cared about the relationship the fallout will be very difficult Mm -hmm. you know as a classic rock fan am i gonna have to come to terms with the fact that the strokes the last rock band rock has played out (laughs) i don't know but I've found some new genres I like. So you, you can rebound from a relationship all you want. But yeah, the emotion from the fallout of a relationship, you're right, it's unbearable because it's 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 going to come 
front and center mentally for a long time afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And so now diving in to Time Crisis's discussion of this song, uh, in episode 90, they talk extensively about it right after it was released. And they don't talk extensively in the um, positive of what's actually the point of the song, but they do actually kind of talk in the what's not happening in the song. And so... Ezra brings up, it's interesting because Ezra said he actually didn't want to talk about the meaning on the song because he wanted to give fans a couple years before he dove into uh, the meanings on songs that are kind of uh, harder to read. Uh, He wanted to to kind of sit there for a while. Um, But he did talk about how a lot of people might want to link this to unbearably white is kind of this title that sticks out if you don't listen to the song and it you might think oh it's vampire weekend trying to justify their their stereotypical white band um because vampire weekend in their early days especially was criticized a lot for being this uh very white um collegiate oxford comma uh polo wearing band and so there's even articles, an article called Why Indie Music is So Unbearably White. And, and it was a great article. I thought it was very yeah, interesting. It's it was a not, good article. I don't think it's appropriate to put Vampire Weekend in the conversation. We'll mm-hmm. get into that. But I think it's a great article and a very important one. Mm-hmm. And the featured cover photo for that article is Ezra. Our boy. Yeah. <laughs> And, a great picture too, by the way. He he's, mm-hmm. he doesn't have this like smug face, but he almost has that like kind of like James Dean, like what are you gonna do about it? Kind of <laughs> <face>. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And in this article, our I, I don't think we need to dive too deep into the article, but Ezra kind of talks about how some people might read this title and kind of look to those types of articles and and think Vampire Weekend's trying to justify their whiteness in it. And he said, that's not the case at all. Uh, Essentially, he came across this uh, phrase. He didn't say where. It definitely could be from one of these articles. But he said he came across this phrase and really liked it and dived more intellectually into it and actually did not really relate it to a racial tension um, at all. And so, so he kind of took this academic approach to the phrase unbearably white and kind of thought of like what, what that could represent. And instead of a racial thing, I, th- I think he wanted to express this, this kind of, this bleakness that one approaches that they're in a crossroads in one life. Yeah. Using this title, I think is related or not i think it's it's become kind of a cool inflection point for the band and kind of showing what they're all about um if the title is a relationship to how the public perceive the band which is very true i mean you can you can imagine some somebody who had only heard cape cod and they're like what are these white dudes doing banging on bongo drums for this is bs and then 
the band's response could have been, yeah, we are going to name a song Unbearably White. Screw you. That's mm-hmm. kind of more of like a Dead Kennedys, like, I don't care what you feel kind of punk rock thing, which would be cool. The more likely thing is that name just exists completely independently of the song's meaning or intent, but it was still titled that. And I think that's kind of a different style of punk rock, like a, a, a bit more of a clever thing. And it's, it, mm-hmm. it makes the band very likable if that is the case. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said how it shows the bands uh, maturing through, through the years. Cause I came across a few quotes from the band's early days which, oh which aren't aren't necessarily uh, there. I would never think that I would be shocked to hear them say it now. Is what I'll say. <laughs> um, oh boy! And so there's You're one quote. Right. There's one quote when talking about this this whiteness of the band. Uh, Ezra says, "Sense of humor is something music always needs." Um, and besides, our band is diverse. You could call us all white, but there's a Jewish guy, a Persian guy, an Italian guy. It's a pretty broad definition of whiteness. I really don't see Ezra saying that anytime now. I I like how they just stopped caring and just just took the high road and did what did what they want with that phrase. Um, did something more complex, did something uh, more nuanced. Um, but And then he goes on to say, they're attacking a version of us that doesn't actually exist, the myth of Vampire Weekend. And so back then, I feel like they were pretty, pretty self-conscious of how people looked at them in terms of this. But I, I think nowadays, they, they could care less. It's funny you mentioned that earlier quote because it almost makes me think that in an alternate universe, Ezra could have been a bad guy. <laughs> like, true, you, he could have leaned into like, yeah, I'm this Ivy League prep dude. And obviously, I think I don't really know the background of the other guys, but I think they were all from modest or humble beginnings. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're, I think they're pretty grateful for they were. Um, but I, I, I just I like imagining Ezra as this like bad guy. And maybe even if you don't know, like, or you're just not aware of like the process or how this guy goes about his business of writing songs uh, and how he's worked with Rostam, who is now like not a part of the band, and but mm-hmm. it still like collaborates. I mean, you could look at this guy as like this dude's just a tool, and he's just <laughs> he is the white guy, um, yeah. but he's not. Um, and I, I I think it's cool, and I, I think it's kind of also interesting to look at what the band said earlier on in their days and how they would probably not respond in that manner now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That band doesn't write a song called Unbearably White. Because <laughs> no. that band probably couldn't get away with it. Quote mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was another quote that I loved, um, not really relating to the song necessarily, but just the podcast in general, where they were talking to a couple of fans, these, these girls at a festival, um, this is right after Contra came out and they asked them, why, why do you like Vampire Weekend? And the girls say, because they're so clever and we love their lyrics. And when asked, what the, what do you think these ly- songs are about? 
they say, we have no idea and carried on bopping along to the music. <laughs> and, so, and so I, I think that's kind of a good embodiment of a lot of the fans of the early vampire weekend. And I, I feel like Ezra kind of took that personal in some way. Um, and adjust that's partially where the adjustment in his songwriting came from. I think you, there's some truth to what they said. I mean, obviously it was true in their minds, but mm-hmm. I think there is some sense where you can know the band is clever before you get like born in the USA by holiday, for example, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know that until like two weeks ago, but I still knew these guys had something going on. Um, that's just a funny quote though. It's yeah. so funny. Cause like now we know, obviously like none of these songs like aren't woke for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the final thing that stuck out to me in the time crisis um, segment when I talked about this was, well, one, Jake, uh, Jake thinks it's about just the overwhelming sensory uh, effect of a of snow sun shining on snow where it's unbearably white which i think is hilarious i don't great. i don't know if he meant it specific he i think he mentioned that i don't know if he meant it specifically but i think in general he talked about like this idea of a big sensory experience mm-hmm. and of course he talked about the snow because it's funny and that is very comical to think about it it, it was great because ezra is just saying yeah, I, I think that could be cool, like a metaphor of some sorts. And he's like pushing him along, just like, come on, get a little closer. But um, but at the end of the day, Ezra went on to say that he writes these songs, a skilled songwriter writes songs to where there is multiple interpretations and they can all be right. And I think that's the takeaway we should have from this, that he he approaches the songwriting now to where you you don't want a clear-cut answer you want some uh nuance to your lyrics completely agree yeah i think i think about some of the best songwriters most talented songwriters that i'm personally a fan of and they either tell you a story or evoke emotion and this song does the latter, I think, incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And in terms of people that are in the industry right now, um, I don't know if there's a better ta- there's a better songwriter than Taylor Swift, but that's not what she does. She tells stories for the most part. Mm-hmm. And Ezra is the king of evoking an emotion, even if you don't know what's going on. Definitely. I definitely love that. So favorite lyric. You're going to let me go first? Uh, I'm just hoping you don't steal mine. I Baby, mine, so. I love you, but that's not enough. Okay. I mean, okay, that's that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta go. If presented with darkness, we turn to the light. Okay. Very very poetic. Um, can I include the line after, or is I it would. strictly strictly I, one I line? Would, I, I think that's that's that's. If you picked the second part, I wouldn't let you pick the first part, but you picked okay. the first part, so I'll let you pick the second part. Okay, so then could have been <laughs> smart. We're just unbearably right. <sighs> Top five. All right. Stranger. Holiday. Harmony Hall. Jonathan Lowe. Spring Snow. 
Interesting on holiday being so high. I yeah, I like it. It's coming back to me. Okay. Need, need, need a few weeks off from the wokeness. Now I've forgotten that it's about the Iraq war. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go unbelievably white. Um, definitely unbelievably one. white. Oh, unbearably white. I mean, <laughs> um, that would have been something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's it, probably my second favorite Vampire Weekend song. Wow. Honestly, very cool. Um, I won't disclose my favorite until we get to it, but. So unbearably white, unbelievers, Jonathan Lowe, campus, and stranger. How did I forget stranger? Yeah. Give me your give me your bottom two. This could be bottom a two. Thing. Okay. Bottom two. <laughs> this was mean. This is, um, this is mean, but it's fun. <laughs> Uh, um oh, this is hard um california english um i guess hudson yeah i don't know we haven't covered one that i hate those are mine too oh um, even this like period are those two songs that those are two episodes that people didn't listen to much? Because the Hudson episode had like our, our least listeners ever. Hudson had least because apparently everyone hates Hudson. Yeah, just so you guys know, we check. We are self-conscious. <laughs> We're checking how many people are listening to each episode. And, and what we've learned is that you guys play the hits. And Big Blue. Goes. Big Blue was the second least. Um, so you got a lot of people that don't like dolphins or hate the environment. I yeah. really kind of ashamed of you guys. I guess you're putting in the plug so they go back and listen. <laughs> no, they're like dolphins. What? Dolphins. Yeah, no, nobody's probably listening at this point. Let's be honest. I mean, I turned it off. Somebody, so there's somebody out there who maybe just listens just for our rankings. The the retention rate uh, on this podcast is going to be like drop as soon as we start going off on Hudson. I I bet. For we'll sure. We'll see. We'll see. Keeping it all in this week. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> no cuts. And now for the hat. Maryland, friend of the pod, Matt, uh, sent us a Maryland hat for Christmas because That's he incredible. wanted it to be used on the pod. So we got to use it. Uh, um, go Terps. So go Terps. Thanks to Matt. Was there a football game yesterday? I haven't played in like a month. Yeah. No, no, not for Maryland. <laughs> I Was there a football game in general? Oh, yeah, we need our college football talk. Um, listen. I, I don't remember a football game yesterday. I just there know are, Notre Dame's going to be in the playoff. There are three elite programs in college football, and Notre <laughs> Dame's the best of the rest. <laughs> we'll, we'll take that. So song for next week. Ooh, one, Blake's got a new face. Oh, I like that fun. one. Yeah. So stay tuned. Join us next week for another episode of Vampire Weekend. Or Catch you later, folks. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.